Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Nuclear power in this country and nuclear power in the face of the oil natural gas crises internationally. And we know, we've heard directly from Terry Bro, who was responsible for energy security for France, who as recently as last weekend told us that if the Russians cut off gas to Germany and to Europe, and they have, with Nord Stream 1 shut down, they're claiming an oil leak. Uh, he said that that some countries in Europe, including his own, should be preparing for up to two hours of uh, blackouts daily in winter. Not a good situation. The energy minister of Belgium is warning of five to ten terrible winters ahead. But as I understand it, and Dr. Chris Kiefer knows far more about this than I do, the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, He's a climate and pollution activist. He joins us. Dr. Kiefer, thank you very much for taking the time. I understand that the Germans, and I got this from something you wrote, the Germans had one of the most efficient nuclear power plant systems anywhere in the world, which they, for their own reasons or political reasons, well, I I was going to say deactivated, but might as well say demolished. Listen, thanks for having me on. It's, it's great to be back, um, and it's a, a really important time to be talking. We're heading into what is going to be, I think, a very dark winter um, for Europe, and I mean that literally um, in terms of forecasted blackouts. Um, but what a lot of people aren't appreciating is this um, you know, fuel, natural gas crisis has a direct impact on food. This energy crisis is a food crisis because natural gas is what we use to make fertilizer. And without synthetic fertilizer, we'd only be able to support a population of 4 billion on this planet. We're currently 8 billion. So this is, this is a major, major issue. Um, and yes, this does directly tie into Germany's real self-inflicted wound here. They made a decision about a decade ago to shut down their entire nuclear fleet. That used to be 25% of all of their electricity um, and attempt to replace it with weather-dependent uh, sources like wind and solar. Um, I really refer to Germany now as the canary in the coal mine. Um, they never were able to get themselves off coal. Ontario did that, and we did that with nuclear energy. Um, and they're finding themselves in a horrible predicament because, of course, the wind often doesn't blow, the sun often doesn't shine. And to fill in the void there in their electricity system, they made themselves addicts to Russian natural gas and as a result have become really one of the biggest financiers of the bloodbath occurring in Ukraine by sending Vladimir Putin hundreds of billions of dollars of money for that gas, which now Vladimir has decided, hey, you don't deserve it. We're just going to cut it off altogether. And that was really predictable, wasn't it? Yeah, I I thought so. I thought so. I mean, um, listen, it's a huge vulnerability that they set up. The Germans obviously have a lot of guilt about what they did um, to Eastern Europe and Russia during World War II. There's all kinds of ways in which this this economic relationship was justified. You know, if we entangle our two economies, we'll be far less likely to go to war. 
people have mutual dependencies. Um, but of course, energy undergirds absolutely everything in your economy. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing here. Germany is one of the few countries in the West that didn't deindustrialize in the last 10 or 20 years. Really vibrant economy. They still build a lot of things in country. That's all really being threatened now um, because they depend on that gas. Um, and so, again, beyond the blackouts, beyond actual hunger, um, which, of course, will affect poor countries far more. I think Western countries and Europe will still be able to buy fertilizer, the remaining amount that's left. Um, I think we're really going to see a, a hollowing out of, of those economies. I'll give you one example. Um, there's an aluminum smelter uh, in Germany. It uses 1% of all of the country's electricity. Um, it made $1.2 billion of revenue last year. Based upon the forecasted price of electricity and aluminum production is very electricity uh, dependent, it's going to cost them $2 billion just for the electricity to try and run that. That's not economically viable. No, um, no. So Europe, Europe is in for a lot of pain, but again, that's going to that's gonna ripple out through the entire world, and poor countries are really struggling because everybody's competing for, for scarce and expensive fossil fuels right now. Uh, we spoke with a German guest uh, three weeks ago when she told us that her energy bills in Germany up eightfold in just over a year, and she's expecting them to go higher, and the German authorities are saying, yeah, you should expect the uh, energy bills to go up. The Brits are saying, even people on the lower end of the economic scale are going to see their bills going up. The Brits are much less dependent on, on Russian gas than, than is Germany. But here you now have uh, Schultz, who came to this country, the Chancellor, and you wrote about that, met with our Prime Minister. They were never going to talk about LNG, and that's basically all they talked about, except for that uh, little sojourn they took to, uh, to Newfoundland to stand on ground that is undeveloped and uh, have or sign a non-binding agreement for for hydrogen energy to be uh, transported to Germany starting in 2025. Uh, I just think that anybody who believes that is really not thinking. And you can put this into far better perspective than I can or context. What's the likelihood that by 2025, hydrogen energy is going to be available to be shipped from Newfoundland to Germany? possibility that that will happen as a kind of virtue signaling demonstration project it's possible i think still unlikely will it have make an iota of difference to germany absolutely not i mean our government unfortunately has been aiding and abetting um, the german government here um, germany still has three perfectly good nuclear plants some of the best run nuclear plants in the world that are running you know 95 percent of the time around the clock keeping the whole european boat afloat shall we say and our, our natural resource minister, Minister Wilkinson, defended their decision to just shut down those nuclear plants, right? This is the worst energy crunch, perhaps perhaps even worse than the OPEX crisis in the 1970s. And Germany is going to vandalize its own grid. It's connected to the rest of Europe um, and close those nuclear plants down. And Canada is, is enabling that. They actually, Wilkinson said, you know, we, we kind of agree with this position that they're taking on their nuclear plants. Uh, but they're also entertaining these bizarre delusions. You know, natural gas and hydrogen are not the same thing whatsoever. Natural gas is something you get out of the ground almost for free. Hydrogen, you have to make it. You have to use a lot of energy to make hydrogen. Um, what they're talking about doing is building an enormous offshore wind farm. Canada's never done something to that scale. Um, cracking water molecules with that electricity, turning it into hydrogen, making that into ammonia through another chemical process, shipping it across the Atlantic, turning it back into hydrogen, burning it in power plants. I mean, I think just on a basic intuitive sense, your listeners, even if they haven't spent much time studying energy, will understand that that sounds like 
a pretty complex set of tasks that need to be done. And if you run the math on it, it produces an absolutely trivial amount of energy at an enormous cost. So, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it, whether, you know, Trudeau is just going to go ahead with LNG and is just trying to appease, you know, his, his base, which tends to be very climate concerned and won't, won't be happy about new pipelines. Um, or whether, you know, this government is just truly that delusional and that energy literate to think that this is a, a viable option. But I think you could see that the chancellor was not here for the hydrogen. Um, you know, he's here to try and get Canadian natural gas flowing to bail out his country. There's no way that the chancellor of Germany is coming to Canada. And they're not here very often anyway, even in the best of times. There's no way the chancellor of Germany is coming with a high-power delegation to talk about the potential, the non-binding potential for the uh, the export of hydrogen to Germany. It's interesting, by the way, I have in front of me right now a Los Angeles Times piece from the, 4th, the 24th of April, 2004, with Governor then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger signing his papers for the first step to fulfilling his campaign province promise of revamping California's highways into hydrogen highways. That was supposed to happen in 10 years. That was 2004. We are where we are. Dr. Kiefer, the reality is that we are not immune in this country. If the rest of the world is suffering uh, an energy crisis, we're going to be drawn into it as well. What's the argument for um, the continuing and proper development of nuclear energy in this country? You know, nuclear has underpinned so much of the prosperity, particularly that we see right here in Ontario. Um, you know, in these times of energy insecurity that Europe is really illustrating, in a time of rising fossil fuel prices, we have a source of energy which ticks all the boxes, really, around just about anybody's concerns. Um, so in terms of energy security, you know, we have our own reactor technology that runs on natural uranium. We're a huge uranium producer. 96% of the supply chain for our nuclear facilities uh, is right here in country. Um, so we control that. We're not at, at, at risk of losing that. We control the price on that. And when we invest in nuclear, such as we're doing by giving another 40 years of life to the Darlington and Bruce nuclear power stations, every dollar that we invest into that refurbishment activity generates a dollar and 40 cents of GDP activity because we're giving great jobs, high-skilled, you know, high-skilled high trades jobs to folks who then go and spend that money in their communities. Um, the supply chain's all here. If we want to compare that to some of our other energy options, particularly when we're, when we're talking about zero-carbon energy options, um, we have alternatives like wind and solar. Unfortunately, those supply chains are entirely overseas, almost all in China. And the jobs available to Canadians um, to install that energy infrastructure are incredibly low-skilled, temporary. You know, there's no parking lots at a, at a wind farm or a solar farm. So nuclear ticks the boxes in terms of, of energy security, in terms of being an amazing economic stimulus, but also you know, environmentalists should be hopping on board because in Ontario, we achieved the greatest greenhouse gas reduction in North American history by using nuclear energy for 90% of the power that was required to get coal off of our grid in Ontario. You know, Toronto used to be the big smoke. We used to have 54 smog days a year. It was nuclear energy that, that cleaned that up. Um, so there's there's many, many reasons, but particularly with the current energy crisis, um, you know, one of the, the failures we're having here is we're not refurbishing one of our, our three sort of crown jewels in terms of our nuclear infrastructure in Ontario. We're not refurbishing the Pickering Station, not giving it the other 30 or 40 years of life that, that it deserves. And as a result, we're going to be burning a lot of natural gas. Natural gas is getting expensive around the world because we're going to be shipping more and more of it to Europe. 
right okay, now, so, Ontario, Ontario imports so, most of its natural gas from, from the states, and, and they're making a pivot there. Natural gas has quintupled in the last two years. Yeah. Um, so every, every region in the world, basically. So now we broadcast in 11 cities and five provinces, and uh, there are concerns that are raised, and I'll see the emails later, concerns about the safety of nuclear. And uh, one of the terrible situations, realities, which contributes to the concern about nuclear was what happened to Fukushima in Japan. And then there's concern also about what's happening in Ukraine with the uh, Ukrainian uh, nuclear plant, the biggest one in, in Europe, being, uh, I don't know, the prize be, uh, in the tug of war between the Russians and Ukrainians. And uh, the Russians uh, threatening that plant, clearly, because they're the invaders. What do you say to people who have concerns about the safety of nuclear and the long-term safety of nuclear? Yeah, I mean, so nuclear is something that has gotten better and better as the decades have gone by. Um, there certainly have been incidents in the past. People are really af afraid of nuclear energy because of the fear of nuclear weapons and the apocalyptic potential of the nuclear bomb. Nuclear plants don't explode like a bomb. That is physically impossible to occur. So what we've had have been meltdowns. In terms of the best scientific literature to, to an, analyze the health impacts at Chernobyl and Fukushima, um, it has been extensively studied by the UN. We also have competing reports from very ideological organizations like Greenpeace, which have really exaggerated the health impacts. So this is going to sound a little bit astounding to you, and especially coming from a health professional such as myself. But outside of the Soviet Union, there has not been a single death related to radiation coming out of a nuclear accident. So what about Fukushima? We had four meltdowns there. We had the world's fourth largest earthquake ever recorded, um, which swamped those nuclear reactors. Well, there was evacuations, right? There was an earthquake, which set off a tidal wave that killed 20,000 people, but no one actually died as a result of radiation. And that's because the doses to the public outside of the nuclear plant are actually quite low. Radiation is all around us all the time, and while it is something that we need to pay attention to, and the dose does matter, the kind of doses that have been received by the public from these accidents have not been that significant. But all that being said, it's, un it's understandable why people are so afraid because of that conflation with nuclear weapons. In terms of what's going on in Ukraine right now with the occupation of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant by the Russians, I mean, this is, this is lamentable. It's absolutely a war crime. But, you know, any source of energy infrastructure or a large chemical plant could be something that would be quite dangerous in a time of war. Nuclear power plants are designed with what's called defense at depth. I mean, they really plan around and over-engineer for any potential eventuality, be it earthquakes, airplane attacks, etc. I mean, is it great that there's a military conflict going on around that nuclear plant? Absolutely not. But one of the greatest tragedies related to energy to ever occur was the collapse of a hydro dam. And I think, you know, to say that we shouldn't do nuclear because of what's going on in Ukraine right now would be similar to saying that, well, Canada should no longer do hydro or we should take down all hydroelectric dams because, you know, hydroelectric dams can be destroyed and that can cause massive flooding. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.